Welcome to Winning Uglier with Brad Gilbert. What up, Buck? I've had an eventful Monday. Normally, you know, I couldn't be an uneventful Monday after the weekend, watched a lot of tennis, went out and hit a few balls this morning with one of my, you know, regular guys I hit with, working on that forehand down the middle, making small progress. And you talked me into it. I went over to UCLA Urgent Care. I can't believe me being Mr. Germophobic. Exactly, yeah. I have never taken a flu shot. I got my first flu shot because of, obviously, the COVID concerns and everybody saying, this is the year you got to get the flu shot. You well, I think get... it's it's every year, but this year more than ever. But you know what's weird is every year I get colds. I get sore throats. I never get the flu. So then they tell you, you know, you can get these symptoms and there's fit. you might get the flu. And I'm like, really? And your arm's going to be really sore tomorrow? But knock on wood, I'm okay. Now the dogs are kind of looking at their paws and going, uh, when are we going to the beach, play a little ball? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You've been, uh, you've been looking forward to the uh, 6 p.m. low tide to take the dogs out. So we got to get this podcast in. Before that, uh, I think we should be okay timing-wise. And uh, yeah, no, um, go get your flu shot. It's uh, it's something pretty much everyone should be doing. But anyways, we're going to talk today all about learning from losses. Because we always talk about winning, winning uglier, but every single match has a winner and a loser. And losses are often when, you know, there's the most to gain in terms of... Um, you know, figuring out what you need to do to improve. And then get into a little Q&A. Got a, a good question about how often you should go to the well if a tactic is working. And also going to talk a bit about like how often you should switch up rackets uh, for, for players at home. But first, let's go back right into the discussion on learning from losses. I'm not sure I should give myself a soft yellow or just a straight yellow. I can't believe we haven't addressed this sooner yeah i think we talked about it a little bit in in pieces in some q a but not not a, not a full-on dedicated day to it and, and one of the players that i i happen to be working with had a gut-wrenching loss and there, there's three kinds of losses you can lose that one where you're playing up you know you're playing somebody a couple of levels up and it's a chance for a great win then there's that one that that's your same level that that, you know, it's one of those important matches. It's your same level. And maybe the toughest is when you're playing somebody you're a lot better than and you find a way to lose. But I think in all instances, it's crucial to learn what happened positively and negatively and constructively opposed to a lot of times you hear he got lucky or she got lucky or I played like crap. There's not a lot of thought process in it other than blowing it. And there's a lot of anger in blowing it. And sometimes the worst type of losing is when you do lose one of these tough matches in high school play, junior play, league play, is that that loss can carry over to three, four more losses. And then you dread being in that same situation. So that's why it's really crucial to understand the positives that you got into the winning position what was it that you did there, and maybe what didn't you do at closing time? Yeah, so so first of all, let's let's talk about the type of loss where 
it's it's a heartbreaker loss where actually you're playing someone that on paper is a bit better than you and you you've pushed this person you know right to the brink maybe even you know got within a few points of the match had a match point just like the guy the younger guy that you've been coaching he had he had a tough one in a future event he was yeah. trying to get his first ATP point yeah playing a guy ranked 350 in the world so that's a huge step up I guess it's like maybe in UTR it's a difference of 12 and 14 three four and the third love 40 four five 15 30 five six 30 all ends up losing the breaker so without seeing the match knowing that you were that close there was a lot of positives to take from that and i think most importantly if you can learn from that what you were doing what was really working because on paper maybe in that that's a type of match that you maybe lose two and two a lot of times so there's the real strong positive in that, that you played up, you played confidently, and you played close with this person. What you don't want to have happen is on that loss that your confidence is still a little bit shaken or you think that just because you played close, the next person that you played, okay, I'm going to play a better level. There's always something positive and negatively to learn. But I do think it's really important to be constructive. And sometimes if you're not very thoughtful about these matches, I say, write stuff down. You know, I used to write it down in a little, you know, a little black book. Obviously, you can write it in your notebook on your phone. What worked? What didn't work? Maybe what happened on those pressure points where you you had a chance to win the match? Yeah, I think it's it's, writing it out is actually a good way to get some of the... um the frustration out of your system and have it turn into something a little bit more productive because yeah I've been in that position before too where it's just I wanted that that win you know uh, so badly and it was against you know someone that was a bit of a better player than me and you get right there and you just uh, you know it's it's a it's a bit of a it's a bit of a heartbreaker but then instead of taking the positives of like okay I went toe to toe with somebody that's really good and some you know a level that I'm aspiring to be at all the time you know all I'm thinking of is you know blew my chances and and I don't it, it wasn't able to ingrain uh, you know quite strongly enough what was able to put me in that near nearly winning position so people more often than not they take the negative on that that I blew this opportunity I might not ever get a chance and if I had won this one it would give me this there, there there's more negative thoughts in it and first and foremost it it's a little bit like I hear sometimes people tell me that they can do it in the practice court. They can't do it in the match. I always say it's much better to be able to do it in a practice court because if you can do it in a practice court, at some point you should be able to do it in a match opposed to can't do it in practice and magically turn it on in a match. So the positive in, in this match is that you, when you're toe-to-toe, makes you want to work harder, want to really get to that level. I, I'm not satisfied that I didn't get over the line, but really think about what was working. And maybe did I, you know, stray away from that when the opportunity was there to close the match out? Yeah, exactly. I think that's, that's a good thing to think about for sure. And then on the flip side of that situation, let's say you're, you're sort of in the, in the opposite position of being someone that is expected to win the match. And, you know, maybe maybe you had a lead on top of that, 
and you know maybe the, you let the pressure get to you and all of a sudden you know the person that you're playing was was freed up because they felt like they had nothing to lose and, and you do sort of blow a match I mean that's maybe a harsh word but that's you know often what people think sometimes when they when they lose to players they feel like they, they should beat so if you're in that position what do you tell yourself? So let's say you're five in the juniors are playing somebody 50. You're a nine UTR playing a seven. And complacency. You think you're playing somebody lower. It's going to be an easy match. I always feel like important to think about tactics. What's working? What is this person doing? And not to degrade yourself that I'm playing so bad. This person's getting lucky. There's a lot of things that flow through the head that become demons. And you're worrying about the perception of losing to this lower-ranked player instead of executing a game plan. Yeah, you're starting to worry about things that you can't control. And that then becomes like a two-headed monster where you're really like so focused on this person shouldn't be in that position. You know what? They are today. Whatever. My game isn't where it should be and their game is up. So it's game on and it's... This, to me, sometimes is a great learning experience. Don't take someone for granted. And sometimes when you're playing down, you you tend to play down to their level. But I also think it's a great opportunity, you know what, to maybe experiment with your game. Or, you know what, let your game fly. Don't worry about the ranking as much as worry about the execution. I like to say sometimes, Buck, in a, in a match like this, hits the fan. And you have to be prepared. It, you, you think you should beat this guy or a woman 6-1-6-1. This match is beneath you. And when you go in with that attitude, that's what trouble you know can lay in front of you. Think about tactics. Focus on tactics. And if you're in a tight situation, it's not about the ranking anymore. It's about executing against this player. And I think the, the thing is, I mean, everybody loses those matches when you know you are the favorite and, and everyone loses a match that they feel like they're, they're supposed to win and and just like anything else it's not getting caught up in all that you know feeling of a letdown afterwards I mean yeah you can let it you can it can sting for a little bit but it's it's still the same thing it's it's go to go to the go to the paper go to the iPhone jot down what what you learn from that situation and, and jot down how you feel like it, you know you let it get away from you so so it's again a, a learning experience just like any other kind of loss should be i learned fairly early you know simple philosophy five times a year you feel like you can't lose five times a year you just don't get it you just can't find a way to find anything good happening on the court that's 10 matches I say all the rest of them are the winnable and losable matches that are normal for players day in and day out. Yeah, it's been one of your mantras on this on this podcast yeah, for and, sure. And having a simple kind of idea about that and, and really important because so many players, even good juniors, good adults, they're, they're more perturbed about these tight losses, you know, and setbacks. But I think it's really crucial that you understood and what you talked about, jotting down notes, learning from it. And it's not, even though it's painful, it just kind of helps you in your mind to remember what happened at 3-4 Love 40. Did 
Did you make, a, you know, any positive plays? Did you let him all of a sudden or her dictate? Did you play tentatively? So if you can remember those plays, it helps you. And I think, yeah, there, there's a good time window to do it. I mean, maybe give yourself a little bit of time after the match to, to decompress. But you don't, you don't want to wait too long after the match. You know, you don't want to wait more than 24 hours to jot it down because you still need to have that, that memory of a lot of the, the, the specific moments in the match, you know, fresh in your mind. And I'll, I'll do this in, in all walks of life when I'm, you know, if you wait too long to, to write yourself a, a note or, t- or tell yourself you're going to do it later, you're going to wind up forgetting. So you got to be pretty disciplined about taking taking those notes within 24 hours after the match is over. I, I call it fester. Don't uncle fester. Just let it, and then you just end up forgetting about it or don't remember it in the details like you should. And losing is painful. Losing, you know, one of these matches that you you have four match points, you serve for it. Everybody does it. But the sooner that you learn from it and process it, the sooner that you're able to move on from it, take the positives, get back in that situation and, and have a look. You know what? I'm going to be more aggressive today or I'm going to play a little safer. You know, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. But Learn from the last opportunity, and making notes really is helpful. Yeah, and I think that that sort of commitment is what allows you to, I, I think, move on quicker too. Once you once you take it as okay, this is an exercise instead of this is a a blow to my self worth or this is a blow to my ego as a player. It's like no, it's just this is just a great exercise in, in figuring out in the long run how you can become a better player. And then that's I think just you're going to be able to move on and much quicker and not let the losses. Uh, especially similar types of losses pile up. This is a great exercise. Do it. And then I say moving along, moving along till tomorrow's practice. And when you have a tough loss, nothing is more important than getting back out there and, and wanting to be back out there. You know, not, you know, letting it, you know, define you for that, you know, period of time or you talk yourself into like, you know what? I'm not going to win the next one. Or I do this all the time. You hear people say, God, every time I get in this position, I, this happens. Yeah. Every time is something different and short-term memory loss. Yeah, I think right. That's it's, it's even a key phrase I think that you want to avoid is like, is that that thought, that thought of every time I, I do this or every time I, I choke when I'm in this position. It, it's just because if you start saying, telling yourself that enough, that will, that you will make it a reality. But if you just, if you just, say, you know what, it just, it happened and it was isolated and, and don't assign a, a, a bigger meaning to it, you'll be able to, you'll be able to move on. And the last sort of situation, uh, and this can happen in, in really any kind of loss, I, I, I hear it all the time, is essentially after someone loses a match, they, they talk about how unlucky they got, especially let's say it's a, you know, big point in the breaker and a ball hits the tape and crawls over, or, you know, you, you name it. There's, there's a million ways that you can feel like you were unlucky. Maybe you feel like you got a bad line call and a shank winner on yeah, match point, a crazy leg cord, you know, umpire mystical, all, all sorts of different things. But these are the, the wins and losses that are the hardest, you know, that, that you felt like maybe you were robbed Maybe, you, you know, but sometimes you, you get in this, this type of situation 
And I say sometimes you will negativity. You will positivity, you can will negativity. Uh, if you, once again, I, I had a bunch of them. I had zillions of them. These losses that, and... I feel like you you telling co- uh, stories about coaching, I feel like every other match you lost was, was due to something that was unlucky. <laughs> yeah, and, and then, you know what's sometimes better than anything for me? Just go take a walk. Go blow off some steam. And sometimes when I would walk, I might think about a little bit, just maybe I hum a petty song. Then I come back to like, forget about the unlucky shot. But maybe I could have done something a little bit different at closing time. Or what did he or she do that lifted their game? But I'll still go back to the positive that when you're in the winning position, there is some good opposed to just... I got robbed. It was so unlucky. All these things and nothing is good from it other than tomorrow, if I'm in that same situation, you might do it again. Yeah, that, that's my whole point about the, you know, calling a, a situation unlucky is that it sort of masks what you really should be focusing on. And that was obviously there has to have been a number of other things that didn't go your way to, to lose a match, to be in that position to lose a match, you know, and don't just let that one point or two feel like you know that that unluckiness is the whole reason that you lost the match i mean you have to see the bigger picture tennis and sports is about resilience these are the type of losses that make it tough but this is a loss that requires learning and and processing you know losing sucks especially when you feel like you know it was snatched from you or something that you can't control but it happens and the faster that you can, like, moving along, thinking about tomorrow, the constructiveness about practice or the next match, the better you'll be for it. I, we didn't plan for this one, but now it's just it's uh, just kind of popped in my head. I mean, what what was one of one of your hardest losses, and and how did you deal with it? What am I? I mean, I had so many. I mean, what I I mean. One of the most disappointing losses, like crazy losses ever, when I lost to Crickstein in the semis of L.A. I mean, it's impossible to lose 6-1, 5-2, 40 love on his serve. I'm serving next game, 40 love on my serve. I end up, you know, blowing eight match points. I smash the net. I break the net. I get fine. end up just having a meltdown in the third. But I think the one thing that I did pretty good about that loss instead of letting it affect me was I had a couple of beers and just I had a laugh about it you know that I can't believe that I was such a knucklehead and let this thing go in some sense seeing the loss of Sitsi Pass at at the U.S. Open when he was up two sets to one five one in the fourth against George. He can't lose that match. He's serving for it 5-4-40 low. But he didn't let it absolutely ruin the rest of his year, which could have easily happened. He made the semis of the French. So that was a beautiful thing to see happen. Um, and, And sometimes, usually when you blow a match like that, the tendency is to have a meltdown for weeks on end. And I think that, honestly, to laugh about it, to have a beer, to to think about a little bit, and, and 
try to put it behind you. It's tougher said than done, but I'm telling you, the older I get, you start to forget some of them, but I had bunches of them. And and I, I'd like to say too that there was quite a few of them probably that I didn't get over like instantly and they cost you the next week. But you learn from that that don't let one loss become six losses. And moving along, as you said, just said in the last little segment, we got the Q&A. Um, this one's from Yoni from Florida. And this is, I, I think, a, a sort of a topic that you like to uh, harp on pretty often. And that's um, his question is, if you're playing a match and something is working well against your opponent, how often do you do it? Do you try to do it every point? Do you still mix it up so they don't catch on? If you detect that they are catching on, how do you figure out when to come back to it? And he says this is just something that always gets in his head, you know, throughout the course of a match. Yoni, I'm just going to clap. This is a beautiful question. This is right up my alley. One of my pet peeves, believe it or not, when I commentate matches or, or you talk to players and you see a stat like somebody coming in and maybe they lose 6-4-6-4, but they won eight of nine points coming in. And you think that's a great stat. And... For me, I'll say, that's a lousy stat. And someone will say, why? Well, if you were eight of nine on something and you lost four and four, could you imagine if you were like 16 of 22? Tennis is about numbers. So obviously, if you have a play that you think can work, let's say my favorite play was a forehand approach, inside out, cover a lot. So almost on every big point, or when I would get that chance, I would do it. So it's a numbers thing. So if you feel like you can break down your opponent's backhand or forehand, I I say find it early, find it on big points, find it late in sets and in matches. And if you think somebody's weaker side, you know what? Make them beat you with that. And sometimes you'll have a play that you think that should work and it works, And maybe this time the numbers go against you, but I will believe in my eyes. If if somebody tells me a a guy's backhand is poor and he happens to hit a couple to beat me, that won't deter me unless the shot has massively gotten better. Yeah, exactly. I think it's 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 important keeping in mind keeping in mind it doesn't have to work every time. You know, even if it dips a little bit, there's a good chance you should stay you should stick with it Uh, because I mean you see way way more often someone not sticking with the winning pattern enough as opposed to someone overdoing a winning pattern. You 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 rarely see that. I mean, I, I there, there's times when when guys, you know, guys or girls make adjustments and, and you do need to counter, for sure. That's something to to be aware of, but at the same time, like it's it's a hard thing to overdo if it's a winning pattern. So, when I see somebody 6 of 7, 8 of 10 doing something, instantly I'm thinking Tennis is about numbers. If you're 15 of 19, 16 of 22, so if you lost a few, but now you're winning more. Where numbers don't add up, if you think, okay, I'm just going to just come in on him, and then you take a look at afterwards, geez, I, I won 15 of 32 coming in. Okay, maybe I, I just started bluffing a little too much or he caught onto it. Or every big serve, I mean, every big point, you tend to serve forehand. 
But maybe this day your opponent is onto it and knows it. So then maybe, you know, you have to mix it up a little bit. I still believe if you think your best play and how you handle pressure is by doing this play, I say then do it, even if they know that it's coming. How often do you see Rafa serve wide to the Bakan, first ball to the forehand, and you still know it's coming. You still got to stop it. But things are about numbers simplistically to me. And so, Yoni, if you are, are making progress on one situation, you're breaking down your opponent's forehand or you're breaking down his backhand, you're getting in on keep doing it. Yeah, the, the last thing I think you want to do if something's working is start overthinking it. Stick, you know, stick with it if it's working. Somebody's 9 of 10 or 10 of 12. You know, I better stop doing this for a while because he's going to get on to it. No, that's a terrible right, no. thought because you stopped yourself. Yeah, you, I think there is a there is a key to when you say numbers. Yeah, yeah, there's the numbers, but the number, but in order to be effective, it, it, you know, when you're just out there yourself, I think it, there's a there's a big a big key is awareness. I mean, you have to be aware of the way that the match is trending. So, uh, oftentimes people don't realize if they won eight of nine, you know, doing something in the in the first set, and then, a, they, and, then they, and then they won two of of eight doing it in the second set. You it, know, and and they're just frustrated, but they don't know why they're losing. Sometimes because they don't stop and take a deep breath or or really think about on the changeover why things are shifting. So, so that awareness is key. Sometimes you'll see a player be O of twelve on break points or. But every single serve on the ad court, he served wide to the backhand. But for some reason, you're not aware of it. So it does happen, believe it or not, even at the highest level of pros, that like it seems fairly obvious that this play is happening, but yet you don't see it. And so that's why the fairly obvious thing to me when something's working, stick to it and keep doing more numbers. Indeed. All right. We've gotten a, a few questions over the last few months related to rackets and, and strings. And I just wanted to sort of do a combo question and, and just focus specifically on, you know, people playing at home. Like how often, I mean, you, you yourself own it, own a tennis shop. The, the B- one, B- BG Tennis Nation the one in uh, Greenbrae, California. Harry's enjoying my extreme, extraordinaires. Um, this is something that. I really feel... Well, well, did I ask the question? Okay, sorry, my bad. You're jumping the gun here. My bad. How often do you recommend upgrading rackets to the newest model for for players at home? I feel like rackets, stringing, all sorts of things in your tennis bag are crucial. And what's important, let's say you've had a racket for a year. So I feel like a lot of club players in the 4-0 level don't switch strings enough never put your racket in the trunk of a car never oh yeah that's a big one i hate it drives me nuts (laughs) because like you know you you don't want it to get hot or cold the strings get brittle they loosen temperature is is, is ideal and if you're playing three four times a week you know it's amazing how often people won't switch a racket for three months i feel like you should if you have two rackets you get two rackets done exactly the same time I would get one at 52 and one at 50 or one at, if you're tighter, one at 58. So I always have one that's looser in case I want to make an adjustment in a match. 
So or yeah, you know, or if the weather doesn't you know shifts a little bit from when you're expecting, let's so say it's maybe, a little bit colder. Maybe if you have three rackets, higher. you have one that's a little tighter, one a little looser, one you like. Also on the model that you play with. Back to the original thought. Let's say there's a your racket comes out and you're still playing with it, and two years from now there's you know, or 18 months, there's a new model. You're not sure about it, but at my shop and numerous shops, I, there's a demo program. You know, demo the next model to see if you like it. But also remember that the stringing is crucial. If you're playing with poly strings, you're playing with, you know, a TNT, which is a, a softer string or gut. That I, I mean, it's not as much the model for me. It's a fresh grip and a fresh string job kind of puts you in the right frame of mind for, you know, playing a match. But I, I think that way too often people keep their racket in their bag, in the trunk, and don't switch a new f- a string job. I can't believe how many people play with worn out grips. It drives me nuts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You got you to gotta switch out the grips more often for sure. And then, I mean, a lot of the newer racket bags are pretty good too about having that climate controlled a, you know, sort of line, lined pocket for the rackets. So that's so sort of I would takes say that out this, of the equation. Buck, I would say this. When a new line comes out, whether or not it's a new Wilson or it's a new Babolat, it comes out every 12 to 18 months. Maybe you, you don't want to do that, but it's a good idea that, you know what, let me, let me play test this one. Let me see if they've got a demo at my club or my shop to see if I like this racket. Because you don't have to switch every time. Some people do. But a lot of times, if you don't switch, let's say you don't switch for five years, then if there's been three models in between, it's a big switch between now and five years, opposed to if you switch, you know, once or twice in 18 it's months. It's like going and, from the iPhone 6 to the, to the 12. <laughs> perfect analogy. You know, some people will go one every time so they stay current. I'm not saying you have to do that, but... Just be aware when you go from an iPhone 6 to iPhone 12. I, you're, you're struggling without that home button, right? Yeah, that was tough yeah, for you. It, it, it was a massive change. And just <laughs> like a tennis racket, all of a sudden, man, it's, it's a little more lively. It's a little stiffer. So there is, if you don't switch in four years and you keep the same model, it will have switched a little bit. Yeah, and I, I wasn't someone that was switching my racket very often. I mean, I played with that... The, the Babolat Pure Drives that, uh, that Andy Roddick, like the ones that he was done with. And I played with those for like, I think, eight, nine years. Yeah, you like, played with those really, for a really, really long time. And now I've been switch, switching more like every, you know, three years or so. three Yeah, something like in that range. I'm the same too. But honestly, I mean, I had a couple of the, the, the Encode Wilsons I played with for almost 10 years. You know, now I'm playing with one of the older Fed models. But... Honest to goodness, when I just roll a fresh grip or I get a, a new string job, that's that's what's more important to me because I, I do like the freshness. Uh, and I think that, you know, some players will play with the racket that gets too brittle. You know, they've, they've had the, the in there for four to six months. They've been playing. It's gone from hot weather to cold weather and it gets a little stiff. Yeah, you see that all the time, like, especially like, um, you know, someone that doesn't play as regularly or people will go sometimes... A long time without playing several months maybe even a, a year or something and then they decide oh i want to get back into the game then they take that same racket that's been in the closet for a year 
and and just take that right out on the court and like that's asking for arm problems. No, I just had you gotta a guy, get, you, that's when you have to get the restraint. Yeah, I, I've had umpteen people that I've seen, and they'll be playing. Oh no, I just got back into it. You're playing with like this old Prince racket. You're playing with this one, or it's gotten. If a racket is older than five years, but you've been playing with it all the time and you play well with it, okay. But if you're picking back up and you're playing with a model that's incredibly old and you're getting back into it, I think it's a mistake. I think that you should, like five years, things, technology switches, you should make the move. I Yeah, no, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. And then just to sort of uh, bookend this all and, you know, bringing it back to learning from losses, what's your be- biggest takeaway on learning from losses? The... The simplicity of tennis, two enter, one wins, the one loses. The Thunderdome. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> two two enter, one leaves. The hardest thing is absorbing the tough loss and making that pain that you don't want to have happen again. How am I going to learn from it? It It's the beauty of tennis. It's why we compete. It's healthy. If, if we won all the time, life would be too easy. And I think that setbacks make you stronger. And if you can learn and analyze, it helps you grow. And it helps your game grow. And that's what's really important at all levels is the, the painful expression, learning from losing. But a lot of people, honestly, that doesn't sink in. They, they learn to lose, and then they lose more often. But learn from those losses, get better for them, and maybe we can eliminate some of them. Yeah, I was talking actually to Dominic Herbati on the way back from a U.S. Open session on the bus, and we had a good chat about it. He's a former top the dominator? 10. The Dominator, yeah, former top 10 player, gave Andre a lot of good battles. And he had a really good quote. He was like, for me, tennis is a sport for losers. He's like, if you don't know how to take a loss, there is just no way to be a great tennis player. And he's like, he's like, Grand Slam is 128 draw, 127 losers. And it's all about being able to, to handle the loss as well. Coach Shiv used to tell me, when I took my first trip to Asia, you know, by myself, 32 draw, 31 losers. Don't surround yourself with people that have that losing mentality. And it's okay. There's only one winner. You And more important than anything when you lose is to hit the practice courts, to keep the good habits, keep working hard. Because you, a lot of times, prolific juniors, you lose a couple times a year. You get out on the tour, you play 25, 30 terms a year. That's a lot of losses you got to learn to take. Yeah, and you see that all the time where, where players don't make that transition well because they're just not used to that level of, uh, you know, taking those losses. You know what? In life, there's a lot of learning lessons. And in sports and in business and everything, learn from the setbacks. You will become stronger for it. No doubt, no doubt. It's just a little yeah, microcosm for everything else in life. Exactly. All right. All right. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Yeah.